Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Good morning. Once again, welcome to Community Christian Church on this absolutely beautiful Super Bowl Sunday. In just a few short hours, the majority of the world will watch the Kansas City Chiefs battle it out with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the most prestigious and highly coveted price, uh, or prize in professional sports, the Vince Lombardi Trophy. And after today, only one team, one NFL football team, will have bragging rights for the rest of the year. Now, I looked at my sermon notes from last February, uh, right around the same time, and was surprised to learn that I didn't even mention the Super Bowl at all last year during the service. And I'm sure for a few of you avid sports fans, that came as a, somewhat of a disappointment. For others of you, you could care less. Probably applauded it. Well, this morning, as a compromise, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start things off with a Super Bowl 55 prediction, and then I'm going to throw in a Vince Lombardi quote free of charge. Are you ready for that? All right. First, the prediction. I predict that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will play a really good football game tonight. I'm not saying they're going to win. Truth is, I don't know who's going to win. You got two really good teams. And don't forget the Kansas City Chiefs are defending champions. But if you read my blog this past week, then you know for the first time in the history of my life, first time ever, I will be pulling for Tom Brady. I'll be cheering him on. Because what he did in Tampa Bay this year is nothing short of remarkable. And I'll wish him the very best. And just out of curiosity, any other Tom Brady fans here this morning? A couple, one big Tom Brady fan. How about Kansas City Chiefs? Are you kidding me? We're a Kansas City Chief church? Anyway, uh, good luck to both teams, and I hope you enjoy the game. All right, that was my prediction, pretty much noncommittal. Here's the quote. Again, Vince Lombardi. The single most important distinction between great men and not so great men is the amount of sacrifice given. To achieve greatness, whatever the job we have, we must be willing to pay the price. Anything worthwhile has a price, and you have to pay the price in order to win. Now, without a doubt, this Vince Lombardi insight and inspiration about the importance of sacrifice is certainly true when it comes to the game of football. But long before Vince Lombardi made that statement, or even had a chance to think about it, another coach pretty much said the same thing. Anyone have any idea who I'm referring to? That's a pretty good guess when you're in church. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, here's what Jesus said. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to talk about sacrifice? Is there any greater price you can pay than a willingness to lay down your life? You see, that's what Jesus did for us. He modeled what servanthood and sacrifice is all about. He went to the cross and he paid the ultimate price for our redemption. And in the Bible, this message is not any more apparent than in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark, we see Jesus as a servant. But not just an ordinary servant, we're talking about the greatest servant possible. The one who was willing to sacrifice everything. Now, last month, we put a series together called Jesus. 
That was it. Just Jesus. And I told you the goal of the series was to try and take a break from all of the chaos and the confusion in our world and focus our attention on him. We're instructed and encouraged to do that in the word of God, especially in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Here's what it says. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And last month I told you the clearest and most comprehensive picture we have of Jesus is found in the four Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus presented as king. Matthew spends a lot of time talking about the kingdom of God. And he lifts Jesus up as not only king, but king of kings and lord of lords. In Mark, Jesus is the servant. Luke reveals to us Jesus as the son of man. And John proves to us that Jesus is the son of God. Now, we got all the way to the end of the series last month, and one community Christian church member, a very special gal, she said to me, Pastor, you never talked about the Gospel of Mark. You mentioned all the other three. You spent some time expounding on Matthew and Luke and John, but neither you or Pastor Chris gave us any good detail about Mark. And I commend this gal and the rest of you who made that same observation. Because it's true, we didn't talk about Mark, not much. That's because we knew starting today, we would be starting a brand new series entitled The Gospel According to Mark. And check it out, we're going to be talking about this for three months. February, March, and April, we are going to do a study through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to continue with our 2021 focus Eyes fully on Jesus. And this is something I'm extremely serious about. Because it's time. It's time for us to regain our focus. It's time for us to start doing the things that God instructed us to do as a church. And that's to pursue him with every ounce of strength that we have. And so we're going after Jesus. If you missed it back in January, good luck for you. Because now we're going to try it again in February, March, and April. We are just going to continue this theme until we can all regain the focus that God wants us to have. And so let's jump in. The Gospel According to Mark, Part 1. And right out of the starting gate, what I want to do is I want to talk about the strangest passage of Scripture that you're going to find in the Gospel of Mark. Those of you who have read through this Gospel, and you probably have read through it several times, undoubtedly have come to these two verses that I'm going to talk about for a little bit this morning. And after reading them and not having been able to make any sense of them, you probably scratched your head and you went on. And the passage I'm referring to right now is found in, the, in the, uh, Mark chapter 14. Gospel of Mark 14. And to help set the stage, I have to read a few additional verses than the ones that I'm referring to. So, let's begin reading and follow along on the screen. Mark chapter 14, verses 43 through 52. Immediately, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now Judas the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him, and lead him away under guard. And when he came, Judas went up to Jesus at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on Jesus and arrested him or seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you didn't bother me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled, and all the disciples left and fled. They all ran in different directions. Now, verse 51 and 52, this is the passage I want to call your attention to. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth. The Amplified Version says sheet, nothing but a sheet about his body, 
and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Seriously? Did I read that right? I mean, is that right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark? That a man, an unnamed man, was there at the time that Jesus was arrested, and he ran away naked. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it says. And so the question I ask when I read something like this, maybe you do too, is who is this guy? And what is he doing there? And furthermore, how come none of the other three gospel writers mention this account? You only find this record in the Gospel of Mark. And that's because the unnamed man here, uh, the one that we just read about, is Mark, the guy who wrote the Gospel. And right around uh, this time, or right about now, as you hear me make that statement, some of you are probably thinking, well, Pastor, do you know that for a fact? And the answer is no. We don't know it for a fact. We're not 100% sure because the scripture doesn't give us the details. We don't hear any more about this particular incident. We don't know who this man really is. But I'm 99.9% sure that it was Mark. That's the reason why I'm talking about it today. And I'm prepared to tell you why I think it was Mark. Only it's going to take me a couple of minutes to make my case. And so I'm going to ask you to hang in there with me, you know, to lock in and don't start to drift, don't get distracted or start daydreaming about the snacks that you're going to be preparing for the Super Bowl tonight. <laughs> you know, let's hang in here and let's look at this together, okay? Because there's a reason why this is important. As we study the Gospel of Mark and as we spend the next three months going through this Gospel with the intention, the specific intention to fix our eyes on Jesus and to not only learn more about him but to implement his teaching into our lives and emulate the kind of example that he gave us, we need to know some things about this gospel. And so we're going to take our time and we're going to learn something about it this morning. All right, are you ready? Uh, here we go. About 15 years later, 15 years after this incident that I just read to you in Mark chapter 14, we have what is recorded in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. And then we learn at that time that King Herod became very envious and jealous of the success that the early church was experiencing, and he started arresting people. You know, King Herod was a madman. And he happened to get lucky, and he arrested James, the brother of John, remember one of the original disciples of of Jesus, and when Herod found out that he got one of the big fish, do you know what he did? He executed him immediately, killed him with the sword. Paid informants then told Herod where Simon Peter was hiding, and King Herod sent his band of soldiers, and they arrested Peter as well. And King Herod had every intention of doing the very same thing to Simon Peter that he had just done to James. He was going to kill him. But something happened. In fact, God said, I don't think so. We'll pick up the story here in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, you know, you got to love God. You know, nothing like waiting to the last minute, right? It says the night before Herod was going to bring him to trial, and following the trial, he was going to be killed. So at the last second, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. The angel struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to Peter, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed the angel out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision or he was dreaming. 
They passed the first and the second guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And that's when Peter came to himself and said, Now I know, without a doubt, that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. How many people were praying? Okay, a ton of people praying here. Many people gathered to pray for Peter. And whose house was this? It's Mary's house. And Mary was the mother of John, also known as Mark, the same guy who wrote this gospel. All right, Peter knocked at the door, the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, told everybody, Peter's at the door. What did they say? You're out of your mind. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. This is an incredible account, just a a tremendous story. And every time I read it, I get fired up. And one of the reasons why I get so excited about this story is because God performed a miracle here for Simon Peter, and he never even knew it. He had no clue. The scripture tells us that he thought he was dreaming. He thought he was seeing a vision. God was at work, and Simon Peter, the, the, the... the hotshot disciple, the apostle of apostles, he didn't know what was going on. You know, that truth, it excites me, it, it inspires me, because the Bible tells us that God is no respecter of persons. And that means he cares about what we go through. He's concerned about everything that we face. And when we have difficulties and troubles, and we don't know that God is at work, still he is working on our behalf. And he's doing something to rescue us, to deliver us, to work on our behalf, to make our lives better. And so I get excited when I read these kinds of things. Now, in this account that we just read, we're told that the house where all the believers had gathered together to pray belonged to a gal by the name of Mary. No surprise there. Pretty much every gal that followed Jesus in Bible times, was, the name was Mary. That was a very popular name back then. However, this Mary just happened to be the mother of Mark. I'm going to say that again. I want you to get it. This Mary, in the story that we just read, she was the mother of Mark, the author of the gospel of Mark. Do you have that? Yes. Do you need me to say it again? Oh, you got it. So the, the house that they're at, the house where everybody's praying... That belongs to Mark's mother, that house. And Mark's mother, Mary, just happened to be an extremely wealthy woman. She owned a sizable house in Jerusalem, a huge two-story house, a house big enough to employ hired workers and staffers, people just like Rhoda. And Mary's house was also large enough to accommodate a large group of people who had gathered there to pray. Remember I asked the question, how many people? A lot of people, many people had gathered there to pray. But this prayer meeting wasn't just a one-time event. It wasn't like they crammed everybody into this house on this one occasion. It was a regular meeting place for the disciples and the saints. In fact, it was most likely one of several home churches in the Jerusalem area. And this might surprise you, But many, many Bible scholars believe that this was the same spot, the same location that Jesus met with his disciples on the night that he had his last Passover meal, right here at Mary's house. So let me set the Mark 14 stage for, let me me set it up for you. On the night Jesus was betrayed, just a few hours before his arrest, Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples at Mary's house, the house we just read about in Acts chapter 12. Jesus was upstairs in the upper room, the upper level. 
And he was hosting an intimate private Passover with his disciples. Downstairs, Mary was with her family, including Mark or John Mark. That's what they called him when he was young. And she's downstairs doing the very same thing. She's celebrating the Passover because according to the law of Moses, everyone, all the Jewish families were celebrating Passover at that time. Jesus is upstairs with his disciples celebrating Passover. Mary's downstairs with her family, including Mark. They're celebrating the Passover. And at this point, Mark is probably a young teenager, maybe 13 or 14 years old, quite possibly even a little bit younger. And I think what happened is sometime in the evening, maybe it was late, Mark fell asleep. He got tired, he went to bed. But Jesus and his disciples upstairs, they continued with their Passover celebration. And when you read through the Gospel of John, you know, those chapters there, 13, 14, 15, and 16, that none of the other Gospels record, you know that he had a lot to talk to them about. And he was telling them all about the Holy Spirit. They talked all about the kingdom of God. He brought them together in unity. He talked about the importance of love. And then after they had all this intimate conversation, uh, they sang a few songs. They were there long after Mary and her family went to bed. And I'm speculating at some point, young John Mark was awakened. And he just happened to see Jesus and his disciples leave the upper room and make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And being a young, curious guy, I bet he thought to himself, I wonder what these guys are doing. So he wrapped himself in the linen sheet, and he followed them from a distance. And he followed them all the way to the garden. That's how Mark gets there. That's how we can put him at the scene. And Mark is still there, watching the activity, maybe hidden in the bushes somewhere, but he's watching what's taking place when all of a sudden the soldiers and the temple guards show up. And when things start to get out of hand, Mark says to himself, I got to get out of here. And he tries to run, but one of the soldiers catches him. But being a feisty little guy, he wiggles free from the sheet that's wrapped around his body, and he makes good his naked escape. He runs back home. And right around 15 years later, in Acts chapter 12, we have this story. But in Mark 14, he tells us he was there that night. He lets us know that he saw what happened. In fact, he gives us some detail that we don't get in the other Gospels. He said, I was there that night, and I saw this guy... Simon Peter, pull out his sword and slice the ear of the high priest servant. I mean, I saw that. I saw it happen. And now here in Acts chapter 12, 15 years later, the same guy shows up at his house. The same guy that he saw in the garden interrupts the prayer meeting and begins to tell this amazing story of how God sent an angel to deliver him from the prison cell and to rescue him from death. He rescued him from the hand of Herod. And Mark, as he's listening to this story, he's putting it all together, connecting the dots, he's blown away. He can't believe what Peter's telling him. And guess what happens? The two of these guys hook up and become friends. This we know for sure. I'm not speculating anymore. Peter and Mark became friends. And I'm thinking maybe Mark said, during their conversation, Peter, I was there. I saw what happened in the garden. I saw what took place. And they formed this very unique and very special pastoral relationship, Simon Peter and young John Mark. In fact, in 1 Peter 5.13, Peter refers to Mark as his son in the faith. It's the same kind of relationship that we see with Paul and Timothy. They have a very close relationship. Bible scholars also believe that it was Simon Peter, the 
original disciple of Jesus, the guy who was an eyewitness of everything that Jesus did, all of the miracles he performed, all the teachings that he gave. It was Simon who provided Mark with the majority of the material he needed to write his gospel. Remember, Mark wasn't there. Mark wasn't a disciple. Mark wasn't following Jesus around. He didn't know all of these things. It was Peter who told them. Peter who shared these stories, talked about the authority and the power that Jesus had. And and with Mark, they just came alive. The stories came alive. And early on, Mark was so inspired by these stories that Simon Peter was telling him. He was so connected with this gospel message as he heard how Jesus transformed lives and and just changed the way things were that he decided, Mark decided, he wanted to go into ministry himself. He wanted to be associated with the gospel message and devote his life to Christianity. And so first chance he got, that's precisely what he did. When he heard that Paul and Barnabas were going on a mission trip, he raised his hand and said, I want to go. I want to be a part of that mission trip. And Mark joined himself to Paul's team. But that mission trip turned out to be a disaster because Mark had no clue what he was getting himself into. He had no idea what authentic, genuine ministry looked like. He didn't know what it meant to have a servant's heart and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He didn't have any idea uh, how that was going to go because all he had done to date was to listen to stories that Simon Peter told him. And keep in mind that he was used to having things go his way. He was raised in an extremely wealthy environment. Nobody told Mark what to do. Nobody said, no, you can't do that. In fact, again, the Bible experts describe Mark as being a little bit on the spoiled side, a guy that was used to getting his own way. And Mark, when he went on that mission trip, when he signed his name and said, Paul, I want to go with you, he had ministry in mind. He was stuck on the glory of it all. I mean, he envisioned himself standing up in front of the crowds like Peter had described to him and preaching the gospel message and watching people get saved. I mean, he wanted to lay his hands on the sick and see people recover and be healed and set free. This is what he had in his mind. This is what Mark was all about. He had every intention of being someone who was very involved in what was going on. But Paul had other ideas for young Mark. Paul had Mark dragging around luggage bags and picking up lunch and making the travel arrangements and doing all the things that had to be done behind the scenes. And Mark never saw himself, never found himself on stage in front of people. He was always in the background doing something else that Paul told him to do. And Mark didn't like it very much. In fact, Mark got disappointed. He became disappointed. And he decided that he was going to quit the mission. That's exactly what he did. He just bailed in the middle of the trip. He didn't concern himself or care how it would affect the other members of the team. He just put in a call to mommy. Said, Mom, I need to come home. And she made arrangements to bring him home. And as as you can imagine, Paul was pretty upset. Man, as a hornet, we find out in the scripture. How could you blame him? Mark just left him. But when Mark got back home and Peter found out about it, Peter moved into action. Because if there was anyone who understood what failure was all about, it was Simon Peter. He knew what it was like to make bad choices. He knew what it was like to get it wrong, to think ministry was a certain way, but find out this had nothing to do with what he was thinking. And that happened several times during the three and a half years that he walked with Jesus. And so Peter worked with Mark. And Peter spent a lot of time with Mark. He invested his life into Mark and he mentored him. And Peter was able to communicate to Mark the single greatest lesson he had ever learned from Jesus. During this time when Mark came back from that 
failed mission trip. And Peter was working with him. Peter was able to communicate and articulate to Mark the single greatest lesson he had ever learned walking with the master. And Mark received it. Mark understood it. Mark learned it. And he built the gospel of Mark, his gospel around this theme. And here's the lesson. We made reference to it already. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45. Jesus called the disciples together and he said, you know, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, everybody just wants to be the guy to call the shots. Everybody wants to tell everyone else what to do. Not so with you, Jesus said. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. This is the lesson that Mark had to learn. If anyone wants to become great among you, that person must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And again, the verse that we read earlier, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the side of Jesus we see in the Gospel of Mark. And over the next three months, I'm going to be making reference to this over and over again because sometimes we get the wrong impression. Sometimes we think Christianity is something totally different where we put ourselves in position for God to serve us, God to minister to us, God to bless us, God to take care of us. And yet the first lesson, the most important lesson that we could ever learn in the Gospel of Mark is the lesson of being someone who has a servant's heart. And Mark learned this lesson well. He bought into it. He built his entire Gospel around it. Everything he talks about, how he presents Jesus to us, it's all about sacrifice and servanthood. And just so you know, Mark... He was able to realize his dream. He became a tremendous evangelist. He went on some mission trips with Barnabas that were incredible. And he stood in front of the people and he watched God do miraculous things. He preached the gospel and others got saved. And he laid hands on the sick and he watched them recover. And by the grace of God, this once naked boy running for his life wrote a gospel. Can you believe that? God used him to write a gospel and communicate truth to us about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an honor that God bestowed upon John Mark. Now, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to gather around the communion table and we're going to receive the bread and the cup. But just before we do, I'd like to read one final passage This passage comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. That was my assignment for this morning, was to read through chapter 1 and and teach you chapter 1, so i got to get at least a couple verses in from chapter 1. Let's read Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. All right, as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, Mark tells us that he went to the River Jordan. He was baptized there by John the Baptist. And coming up out of the waters of baptism, the heavens open. And the voice of the Father says, This is my Son, the one that I love, and I am well pleased with him. The Father made it very clear. This guy right here, the one being baptized at this moment, is the one I am crazy about. 
And I love him. I'm proud of him. Even before he has a chance to go to the cross, even before he pays the price for redemption, even before he performs one miracle or heals one sick body, God makes it very clear, this is my son. I love him with all of my heart. And then what does God do with the son that he's crazy about, that he loves with an everlasting love? He sends him to the wilderness. That's what the Bible tells us, right? He's driven by the Spirit into the wilderness where he has to battle the devil for 40 days. For 40 days, Satan is tempting him, tormenting him, coming after him day and night. And did you catch that other little phrase that you saw there in those verses? He was surrounded by what? The wild animals. I mean, it's not bad enough that he's got to fight the devil. He's got to look at these wild beasts for the entire 40 days that he's there, fasting and praying. You know, he's, he's trying to see God, and there's this monster in front of him. Is that what we do to the people that we love? I mean, you, the, the scripture said, made it very clear. This is the son whom I love. Is that what we do to the people we love? Well, we don't do that. No, we protect the people we love. We keep them from those kinds of situations. We shelter them. We put them in a bubble. We don't let our sons or daughters get exposed to anything like that. But God... Oftentimes, with God, we are exposed to spiritual warfare and situations that can cause a lot of fear. Now, why would God do something like that? Why would he do that to the people that he loves? Maybe enemies. You know, send the enemies out in the wilderness. Let them deal with the wild beasts. But God sends the people that he loves there why? For two main reasons. Number one, he wants us to know that in Christ we have power and authority over the enemy. You need to know that. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in our mortal bodies. We have the power to pull down every enemy, every spiritual enemy that tries to mess with us. We don't have to be set back with fear and worry and doubt all the time. We don't have to be overcome with these things. And it's there in the wilderness that God teaches us we have this power and authority. We have been given the name that's above every name. We sing about it all morning. Jesus is that name. And in the name of Jesus, we have healing and we have deliverance and we have power. And he wants us to learn that. We're not walking around here without any authority. God has given us all authority, full authority. And then secondly, he wants us to be able ministers of the gospel. The gospel that we say that we believe in. The gospel that we hold so dear to us. What he wants us to learn how to do, or what to do, is to be able to identify and understand all of the same things that the people that we are serving go through. Did you hear that? He wants us to be able to relate to those people. He wants us to be able to understand when people go through a difficult time. And sometimes it's the wilderness experience in the desert that prepares us for those kinds of things. I've learned that you can't experience some things when you're on the mountaintop, when everything's good and everything's just hunky-dory. You know, in the wilderness, in the desert place, that's when the most effective spiritual resume is compiled. That's where we learn about the power of God. Without jumping through the hoops of the wilderness experience, will never obtain genuine servant heart credentials. You'll never know what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes or identify with the pain or a struggle that someone else is going through. So God makes those desert experiences available to us and then he gets us through them. He not only shows us some things that we can't learn any other way, he not only teaches us some things, but he helps us through them. 
And tell me again, after the 40 days when Jesus came out of the wilderness, was he defeated and discouraged? Was he bloody and all beat up? Do you remember what the scripture says? He came and, and went back to Galilee and what? In the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how he came out of that desert. And that's what God wants for us. That's the very same thing that he's trying to build in each one of us is the importance of understanding. Christianity is all about serving and we can serve with the power and the authority that he provides for us. It's available to everyone. Not just to people like Simon Peter, not just to people like Mark or Mary or anyone else. These kinds of things are available to all of us. All right, let's bow our heads and prepare for communion. Father, we take just a couple of moments here to examine our own heart. We're told to do that in 1 Corinthians as we approach the communion table to take some time and just honestly look at where we're at. This becomes a difficult thing to do sometimes. But Holy Spirit, we thank you for your convicting presence here this morning. You don't condemn us. The scripture says there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But you do convince us, Lord. You convince us of things that need to be done, situations that need to change, attitudes and actions that need to be modified. And we thank you for the grace that you provide for us to be able to do these things. Thank you for your loving presence here in this place this morning. Thank you that your objective is to draw us to yourself, not to separate us. And so we come, Lord. We come humbly. We come confessing our faults and our failures. We come knowing how great of a God you really are. And we ask that you would move among us in these closing moments as we receive this incredible gift that you've given to us, being able to share in this communion supper. I pray ministry to every person here in these moments. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you haven't done so already, why don't you go ahead and grab one of the bread and cup containers. You see it right there in front of you. We'll receive communion together in just a few moments. You know, the scripture said it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper ended, Jesus took the cup and again he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's what it's all about. It's about the new covenant that I'm establishing for you right now. Do this in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread, every time you eat this bread and take this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. Jesus said, I want you to remember that. I want you to think about my death. I want you to think about my sacrifice on the cross. Whenever you come together, whenever you receive the bread and the cup, I want you to spend a little time thinking about my death. And one of the reasons why Jesus wanted us to focus in on his death is because, believe it or not, his death is very beneficial for us. Hard on him, but good for us. Because of his death on the cross, we have forgiveness of sins. We can come before him knowing that we've made mistakes, knowing that we have failed him, 
knowing that we have disobeyed his laws and his commandments. And because of his death on the cross, we have forgiveness. And we have the promise of eternal life with him forever and ever. Anyone who's here today who's never made a relationship or made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do it because of his death on the cross. You don't have to wait. You can find forgiveness of sins. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the only way that you could ever spend eternity with him is because of what Jesus did on the cross. He became the final sacrifice for us. He died for our sins. That's beneficial for us. Oftentimes when we think about his death and what he's done for us, we focus in on our problems and the issues that we have and we ask God to fix them. So we come into the communion service and we say, God, I need healing or God, I need a financial miracle. God, I need you to help me with this problem or that problem. I'm addicted to something I shouldn't be. I'm struggling in my relationships. I'm feeling anxious and afraid. And we ask God to fix us and we can do that because of the covenant cup because we're in covenant relationship with God, we can make our requests known to him and he's willing to meet our needs. That's why he wants us to focus on his death because it reminds us of the covenant, reminds us of the good things that he's done for us. But you know, when he asked us to remember his death on the cross, there were some other things too. He wanted us to use his death and sacrifice to remember that he's called us to serve others. Not just be concerned about our own thing, but carry the burdens of other people. It's a big one today, friends. Because what happens a lot of times is we're so caught up and so consumed with our own issues, we don't have time for anyone else. How can we think about someone else's problem, someone else's difficulty and struggle when we can't even get through the day ourselves? You see, with his death on the cross, when he said, when you come to the communion table, I want you to remember my death, he wanted us to think about his sacrifice and how he came to serve. Can you understand that the Son of Man, the Son of God, left his throne in heaven, came to earth to serve? That's what he did. He became the greatest example of servanthood we could ever find. The Gospel of Mark shows it to us. He said, when you hold the bread and the cup in your hand, don't just think about your own needs. Spend a little time reaching out with prayer, with encouragement, with support to someone else who might be going through something. Someone else who suffered loss, someone else who is battling a medical issue, someone else who's lost their job, someone else who's gone through a divorce, someone else who's had problems. And so this morning, just before we take the bread and the cup, something that we rarely do, I'm going to ask you to think about that person. Just think about someone in your world, in your life, who could use a little support, a phone call, a text message, a few dollars. And let his death allow us to remind us who we really are. We are servants of the Most High God, called to carry one another's burdens. And so, Father, we thank you for your presence in this place this morning. We thank you for the name of Jesus. We've been singing about that name all morning. There's no name like the name of Jesus. It's a name higher than every other name sickness has to bow at the name of Jesus. Unbelief has to bow at the name of Jesus. Addiction, financial 
problems, anxiety, fear, all has to bow at the name of Jesus. And Father, thank you for a wave of blessing coming over the people of God. Every time we gather together, you're here to minister to us. But Lord, our, our focus this morning is not ourselves. It's not our problem. We don't cry out to you, Lord, to fix me. But we pray, Lord God, as we begin this series on the gospel according to Mark, that you would instill in our hearts what became the most important theme in this entire book. Serving one another. Speaking life over one another. Investing, contributing, helping one another. Speaking truth. Speaking the name of Jesus over each one. I pray, Lord God, for the people that we're thinking about right now, that you would help us to make a difference in their lives. Let's take the bread and the cup together this morning. Yesterday we buried a very special Community Christian Church brother, Eddie Magola. He was one of the good guys. Been a, been a part of our church for about 10 years. Really difficult to say goodbye to Eddie. And we will miss him. But if I could sum up his life with one word, that's it, just one word, it would have to be servant. Servant who modeled and exemplified the kind of heart that Jesus is trying to build in all the rest of us. He lived to serve. He lived to exalt the name of Jesus and reach out to the people around him. And it's time as believers, as the church of the living God, for us to reclaim our focus and to understand who we really are. In addition to everything else that God has given us to do, in all of the places that he's called us to serve, you can't lose sight of this one truth. Servanthood. That's what he's called us to. To reach out to one another, carry one another's burdens, and do our very best to make a difference in this world. Appreciate your attention here this morning. Thank you so much for the support that you give to the church. And I just pray that you have a really great week starting today. I hope you enjoy the game, however it turns out. Um, but why don't you encourage someone on your way out? You don't have to touch them. Just, just say something. Say something uplifting. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.